One of the important parts of meditation practice is to have a good understanding of why we're doing it, what we're aiming for, the purpose of it, be aware of some of the obstacles that might arise and so on. Developing a good attitude, a good understanding will help our meditation practice go more smoothly. The word meditation itself is obviously an English word that doesn't directly correspond to Pali, the language of the Buddha. One of the most common words we use is bhavana in Pali, but bhavana you might translate as cultivation or development. Cultivation of what? Well in brief it's cultivation of the heart, the mind. We're cultivating it, developing the factors of the Eightfold Noble Path. But in the text they separate different aspects of bhavana out. So there's gaya bhavana, cultivation of the body and its relationship to the physical world around us. Sila bhavana, development of virtue, morality. Jitta bhavana, development of the mind itself. Panya bhavana, development of wisdom, insight into the true nature of reality. So already this word bhavana, which we translate as meditation, you can see it's got different aspects to it. It's not just one limited thing, one limited technique. We're talking about the training of the human mind with the aim of freeing it from suffering, abandoning the causes of suffering, greed, hatred, delusion, wrong views, thereby liberating the mind so it can ex experience true peace, happiness, contentment. So Gaya Bhavana is part of the practice of meditation, learning to look after this body, learning to live in the world skillfully, to consider how much we need to eat and sleep how to relate to the physical world, our environment, what we're going to use from this world, how we treat the world around us, the resources of the world, the material possessions that we have or could have. 
if it's a Buddhist monk, a bhikkhu, then it's fairly straightforward. Our possessions are few. We have a set of robes and a bowl, an arms bowl. Even then, uh, the awareness we're developing, developing and cultivating with these simple possessions is uh, an attitude of simplicity, learning to and looking after them well, carefully, to being careful, look after our arms bowl. We have many rules and regulations where we can put it and store it, learning to clean it, sun it, protect it. <coughs> or our robes, we keep our robes close to us, clean them, look after them, patch them when they've got holes. Our dwelling places, which tend to be fairly simple, we look after them, we clean them. The one is, the attitude is one of simplicity, frugality, but also caring for what we have. And not being a burden on the world. We are learning to use just what we need to get by. Like the bee that takes pollen from the flower without killing the flower. A Buddhist monk lives in the world just taking enough of the alms that is kindly offered by the laity and then looks after, considers what he uses. For laity then it's the same theme as one of learning to live within our means, to be moderate in our desires for consumption, how much we have, our house, our clothing, our possessions, the wealth of this world that we use, to be careful, not wasteful, not over extravagant and so on. And not to exploit others in the way we get our wealth, not to harm others. So just this word Gaya Bhavana involves many, many aspects of this body, how we use it and how we relate to the world around us so that we can live in harmony with others, with ourselves, with others. And this provides a foundation for developing the other aspects of bhavana, training the mind, training the heart. Sila bhavana, training in the practice of restraint, again moderation, restraint in our behavior, the way we speak, the way we act, how we relate to other people, developing sense of harmlessness, kindness, respect for ourselves and respect for others, respect for property, respect for life, respect for partnerships, relationships between people, learning to live in an honest way, kind, expressing kindness, and wisdom in our speech and developing sobriety, 
clear states of mind so that we can contemplate Dhamma and understand Dhamma, the opposite of states of intoxication. Zajan Chah reminded us, Sila, the heart of Sila is training in intention to become more aware of the intentions that lie behind all our actions, our speech, our actions, and training to abandon the intention to kill, steal, perform acts of sexual misconduct, to lie or deceive or abuse others, or to get intoxicated. We're training in that intention, becoming aware of our actions and our speech more and more. Becoming mindful of the precepts, reflecting on our behavior and using the precepts as a guideline or a standard. So in a broader sense, it's also having that goal or the ideal of a life that is free from harm. We bring up a sense of harmony and peace through our behavior. So we provide a sense of harmony or harmlessness with others. We provide safety, security to other people and other animals around us by keeping the precepts. So if we are going to dedicate ourselves to keeping the precepts, we have to also have that dedication to harmony, harmlessness as an ideal, as a principle, and that will help us to determine our behavior, understand our behavior better, whether it's coming in line with that principle or not whether we're harming ourselves or others through our actions and speech or not. The qualities Ajahn Chah emphasized over and over again for the development of the mind through Sila Bhavana is Hiri and Otapa. Hiri is sense of shame Otapa, fear of the consequences of wrongdoing. So shame is when you have a, a guiding principle or a standard of goodness that you aspire to and you want to follow and keep to. And then it's that feeling that might come up when you stray away from that principle, that quality of goodness that you aspire to, you start to go against it or act in ways that will not help you achieve or stick with that principle. So if you aspire to the principle of harmlessness and then you start acting in a way that's aggressive or speaking in a way that is abusive or harmful to others in some way, Sense of shame is what arises when you start to feel your, you might feel you're letting yourself down, you're not acting in a way to fulfill your goals. It's that sense of discomfort in the mind, 
where you, you know it's what you're doing is, is not actually what you really aspire to and want. It's not a quality that is talked about much in society or it's not a very immediately attractive quality for humans, especially in this day and age. But once you start to cultivate the mind, you see the value of it more and more. And that's why they call it a protector, protector, a guardian, guardian angel, is the quality of shame it helps us to keep us on the straight and narrow, keep us on the virtuous path for our own benefit and for the benefit of others. That's Hiri. Otapa, fear of the consequences of wrongdoing, is very much a function of wisdom, understanding, karma, that our actions do have consequences. And having considered carefully cause and result, or actions and the consequences of actions, then there's a, a true fear or dread of the suffering that's going to arise if we fall into unskillful actions and ways of behavior. So it comes through reflecting, listening to Dhamma, considering our life, looking at our own lives more carefully, or the lives of people around us as well, and learning and seeing what where suffering comes from and really wanting to stay away being fearful in, fearful in a wise way not a blind way or a foolish way but wisely fearful that we don't want to suffer we don't want to create suffering for others because that comes back to us they suffer, we suffer we don't want to suffer ourselves, we don't want to harm ourselves because everybody wants to be free from suffering. Everybody is averse to suffering. Everybody wishes to be happy. So one, the more one cultivates sila bhavana, the more one is reflecting on the causes of happiness, happiness as far as our speech and actions go. and acting accordingly. So to restrain ourselves from doing something which we know will bring more suffering to ourselves or others. Having enough clarity and mindfulness and understanding to do that. Jitta Bhavana, we're de developing uh, the mind itself, the heart itself, and the qualities of particularly the more wholesome states of mind, positive emotions that bring a genuine sense of well-being internally and freedom from stress, freedom from negativity. Even as we practice sila, we quickly come to realize that you might still have different states of anger or greed or jealousy arise in your mind, even if you restrain your behavior on the outside, there still may be negative emotions, mental defilements arising on the inside. 
Ajita Bhavanari's training to deal with those directly, developing mindfulness and clear comprehension of what we're doing through our day and through our meditation using meditation objects like Bhutto or the breath to train our mindfulness so that it's more constant, more sustained and at the same time letting go of the mental hindrances that are the immediate obstacles to peace of mind and inner happiness. So sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, drowsiness, worry, anxiety, mental agitation, and then doubt, uncertainty. These five hindrances we're directly working with when we're developing mindfulness, learning to abandon distracted states of mind, developing a meditation object, but also reflecting, using wisdom to do that, seeing the harm of the hindrances when they take over the mind, the lack of peace, the lack of happiness, and then through development of skillful states of mind, bringing up more continuous mindful awareness and that sense of well-being that comes with it, body and mind start to feel more at ease, more happy in themselves by cultivating a meditation object and mindfulness. Little by little we gain the skill of overcoming the hindrances and experiencing states of calm, one-pointed attention. And it's not just when we're sitting meditation, it can be when we're walking meditation, or even doing many, any different activities or in any posture. We always have the opportunity to bring up mindfulness, bring the mind back to the present moment, let go of the hindrances that may be arising. It's a process, it's a practice of, cult, of cultivation, development of mindfulness and all the supporting factors in development of the more wholesome states of mind based in generosity, kindness, compassion, effort and energy, patience, and wise reflection, wisdom, and so on. They all support the development of jitta bhavana. But in particular, it's the continuity of mindfulness, letting go of distractions, so that we can experience a mind that is free, if only temporarily, but at least from time to time, experiencing the free mind, liberated from the hindrances, where there's a sense of spaciousness, letting go, and emptiness, as in empty of the hindrances, empty of the normal sense of self that we have in our experience. When the mind goes beyond the hindrances, there's a great sense of spaciousness, 
freedom from worry, free, freedom from anxiety, not looking for anything else. And when you get over the hindrance of sense desire, the mind is complete and satisfied and content within itself. It's not wanting anything else other than just to continue practicing mindfulness, developing one-pointedness. So it feels full. It's accompanied by the arising of pity and sukha, sense of internal joy, happiness. And that sense of I don't need anything more than this at this moment. The eyes don't need to see anything. The ears don't need to hear anything. Don't need to taste, touch. Don't need to let the imagination run wild, fantasize. The mind is still enough, quiet enough, that it's very satisfied and happy within itself. The fullness of a peaceful mind. And this is the support, the foundation for Panya Bhavana, development of insight. So if the mind is content, not caught into restless agitation, seeking other things, and then it can look very well and observe its own experience and see that the, the craving and attachment, all the seeking and the holding on to physical and mental phenomena is a cause of suffering. Trying to hold on to our experience of this body and mind and the world around us and make it ours and hold on with a sense of self is just suffering and ultimately fruitless. This body cannot be held on to, it's getting older and one day it will die. The world around us, we can't control and make ours. It's in a constant state of flux, impermanence, it's beyond our ultimate control. Feelings, thoughts, thought formations, all of these mental experiences are impermanent, not self just condition things that we reflect on using the, the one-pointed states of mind and the calm, the mindfulness that we're developing. The mind can see this, so there's an uprooting of delusion, letting go of attachment and the cause of suffering, freeing the mind not just temporarily but permanently Panya Bhavana leads to a true insight, penetrating the Four Noble Truths, seeing suffering, the cause of suffering, then seeing the cessation of suffering, knowing that, experiencing that. The kind of insight that develops is permanent in that sense. It stays with you and the mind just knows, understands the way things are knows this body is impermanent, not self. Sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, mind objects, impermanent, not self. So the more we cultivate Panyabhavana, cultivate insight, the mind becomes clearer and sharper and quite naturally is letting go of attachments, delusions. ultimately purifying itself 
uprooting all wrong views, attachments that lead to suffering. But even early on in our practice we can gain enough right view, enough understanding of what we have to do, even if we can't yet do it completely. Little by little, calming the mind, skillfully, learning to live skillfully with the world around us, developing harmless behavior, peaceful behavior in the world, and internally developing mindfulness and ultimately insight. All of this we can develop right now, right here, right now, even if we haven't yet completely uprooted all our mental defilements, we can at least see what we have to do and just keep working at that practice little by little. So perhaps the quality we need in the end most of all is patience, kanti, which is why you hear it so much. You go to any forest monastery and if it's in Thailand, you'll always be hearing otton, otton, endure, be patient. It's a matter of applying the practice, these techniques, cultivating the mind, body, speech and mind over and over again. Not giving up, not giving in, not being lazy and not being distracted and so on. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Learning to keep doing it, keep coming back to the path, cultivating the path. But this is what we're doing, this is the practice. So I'll just leave you with these uh, words of guidance tonight. We can carry on sitting for the rest of the period. <laughs> 